Welcome to Evangel Church, where we believe in seeing changed lives changing lives. God is good, huh, church? I just sense, my heart's just overflowing this morning. I just sense that we've been in the presence of God together. We met with our good Father. He's met us, and I'm believing for him to change us in his presence today. We've been in a series of messages, if you're just joining us for the first time, and the title of this series is We Can't Stay Here. I want you to know that God is on the move. God has been moving, and a part of that is God is moving us as a church. He's preparing us as a people. Uh, there is something waiting for us as we walk through this season that I believe is bigger than us. It's bigger than we could ever imagine, and uh, there's something about God's people at times just getting kind of stuck right where they are and settling for that place. The children of Israel did it in Egypt, and they just kind of got stuck there. And God rescued them and lifted them out. And then they went into the wilderness, and they kind of got stuck in different places in the wilderness. But each time, God's Spirit is saying, we can't stay here. You can't stay here. I have something greater for you than you could ever imagine. And I don't know about you. I want to follow that with all my heart. Amen? I want to experience God's best for me. Whatever it is he has, I, I want to be there. I want to walk in that. And so we're learning what it means when we say we can't stay here and how to prepare ourselves to move where God would lead us. And if you have your Bibles, would you open with me to Exodus chapter 19? So for the last two weeks, it's another week in another wilderness that the children of Israel walk through. They came through the Red Sea and they ended up in the wilderness of Shur, which means wall, where they got stuck. And then they head out of there, and God leads them through and grows them and teaches them. And then they find themselves in the wilderness of sin. And that sounds pretty bad, right? Uh, and it's there in the wilderness of sin. They grumble against God, and they begin to doubt who he is and his character. And we're learning a lot of lessons. Unfortunately, we're learning many of the lessons from their mistakes. But Jesus shows us the right way to overcome all those things in the wilderness. And we saw it. Well, we're at another week, church, and we're in another wilderness in Exodus chapter 19. Here's what it says in verses 1 and 2, that on the first day of the third month, three months into their journey after they left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of the wilderness of Sinai. And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. This mountain was significant. I didn't share this with our first service, but it was very significant because it was about God fulfilling his promise. What God told Moses a long time earlier when he met him out in the wilderness and spoke to him from a burning bush, he said, I'm going to lead them by my mighty hand and my outstretched arm out of Egypt, and they will worship me on this mountain. You know what mountain we're talking about? Mount Sinai. So there's this moment God promised was coming, and they were now reaching that place to the mountain that the Lord said he would meet them at, that they would be worshiping him at. And the, you know, as you're going through this series, and if you're reading through this portion of Exodus, and if you've read through it before, perhaps, it could feel kind of frustrating to say, another wilderness. Is it over yet? Like, another one. They just keep kind of heading into these trials and these challenges. Some of you don't need to read this passage to know what that feels like. Because for you, you feel like, Pastor, I've been in that wilderness. I've heard many of you share that this series has been resonating with you because this feels like it's describing the seasons that you've walked through. Seasons that you've lost heart 
hardened, seasons that you have felt stuck in in the past. And I want to remind you time and again, because I think we always think that the wilderness season is a bad season, is a wrong season, is a season of punishment. I want you to know that the wilderness season is also a season of purpose. It's a season that God is doing something. He's doing something in the wilderness. I know that it took 40 years. That wasn't a part of God's original plan. It was because of how their hearts were responding in the wilderness. But I want you to know it doesn't have to be just a season of pain or of difficulty or challenge. Let it be a season of purpose in your life. A statement that I felt the Lord put in my heart is a succinct way of saying it is, don't leave the wilderness empty-handed. Don't leave the wilderness empty-handed. Don't miss out on what God's doing. Some of us, were in such a hurry to get out of the wilderness that we don't get something out of the wilderness experience, the something that God has for us. So don't leave the wilderness empty-handed. Allow God to do what God wants to do in that season in you. But if we're in such a rush to get out of it, we could miss it. We could miss what God wants to do. And I believe that we see here in Exodus chapter 19, one of the great reasons why God's people will end up in the wilderness. And it's so that God can give them a revelation of themselves and of him. It's so that God can give them a revelation. He could reveal himself, can reveal something so important. What he reveals in the wilderness many times is purpose. Like I said, it's a season of purpose. He reveals mission in the wilderness. When you go back and you look in Exodus chapter 3, it's in the wilderness that Moses first confronts and is confronted by God. And it's there in the wilderness that God unfolds the mission to Moses. It's in the wilderness, in the backside of nowhere, when David is is, uh, tending to his father's flocks, that God is molding his heart into a king's heart, a heart that would love him and be set aside him. Don't despise the wilderness seasons it's in that place God could be forging and forming and molding you for the mission he has for you for the purpose he has for your life he brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai and it's there that God is going to answer the one question that the people have now grown to desire and understand something they couldn't wrap their heads around you ready for the question why why? 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 You rescued us from Egypt. I wish you'd have left us in Egypt. I don't understand what we're doing out here. Why? Some of you, have you ever asked God that one question? Why? Why? Been in a dark season of your soul, been in a time of just perplexity, and whenever you've seen the dips and the turns and the deep, why, God, why? Why? I'm thankful that sometimes, and I say sometimes, God gives me the answer to that question. But other times I have to trust his heart even when I don't understand his hand. Come on, somebody. Even when I understand, I trust his heart. He's good. He's good. He's good. I don't understand what he's doing. He's good. But God gives them the why right here. And maybe you've never caught it before, but it's powerful when we think about the why. Why did you rescue us? Why did you save us? Why did you redeem us out of Egypt? God had a purpose for it. He didn't just save them to save them. He didn't just set them free so they could be free. He saved them for a purpose. Here's what it says in verse 3. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob. Pay attention to that. We're going to come back. And what you are to tell the people of Israel. Here's what you're to tell them. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you out to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and you keep my covenant, 
then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. Did you catch it, church? It's there in that place that God was giving them a sense of revelation about their purpose. Why? Why have you saved us? Why have you redeemed us? We, we have been saved. This is what they can look at. This is what Moses is saying. Guys, we have been saved for a purpose. God has a purpose for us. We are to be, for him, a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. We are to be, that was the purpose God said, we are to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is the reason, this is the why that God rescued them. I want you to know something today. God saved you for a purpose. God rescued you for a reason. He has done it. He has a purpose for your life. For me, this changed me forever. Not just to know that he loved me so much that I wouldn't die in my sins and that I could have eternity with him, but in my life, every single day, day I can live and fulfill God's purpose for me oh man you're pretty quiet I need you to know just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm the only one that has purpose in this house come on God saved you for a purpose he rescued you for a reason he has a purpose that's bigger than you can imagine and I think we're just scratching the surface at it church I think well, that's good preacher talk, but I don't really believe it for me. He has a purpose for you. You're probably the one who's least likely to believe it, but he has an incredible purpose. It'll, 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 it'll overwhelm you to consider it. But this is what he says. He says, I want you to tell the descendants of Jacob. This is an important phrase because when God says this, this is meant to bring the people all the way back into a, one of their descendants, one of their forefathers, because God made a promise and he had unveiled a purpose of why he was doing everything he was doing. And he said it to Abraham a long time earlier. He said it to him hundreds and hundreds of years before this moment at the foot of Mount Sinai. Here's what he said in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. This is when he's speaking to a man named Abraham, whose wife is of old age, who doesn't have the ability or capacity to bear children, who are past that season of their life, here's what God, the God of the universe, says to him. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This was the promise God made to a man who was the least likely to do anything of significance. And guess where God said that to him? In a wilderness. Come on, somebody, you seeing the theme? It's in that very place where he's out and he's out in the middle of nowhere. God speaks to him. God is a God who reveals purpose in the midst of wildernesses. It's a place where he speaks in least, to the least likely, in the most least likely places. And it's there that God's showing them. I have a purpose that you're now beginning to fulfill that goes all the way back to Abraham that you're going to be a blessing to all people. This is what we don't realize when we think about this story because we think God is just taking a people unto himself and they're just going to kind of go live in a land and it's just going to kind of be their land and their place and we miss out on God's real purpose because what is all this business then about all nations, all people will be blessed through you? It's found in the purpose statement God gives for the people. He said you're going to be a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. A holy nation means you're going to be a people set apart. That's what holy means. You're going to be a nation that looks so much different than every other people in this world because I will be your king. I will be your leader. I will be your God. 
But what does it mean to be a kingdom of priests? Well, I mean, the nation has priests. That's actually a specific function of a certain group, a certain tribe. They're the priestly tribe. So what does it mean that they're going to be a kingdom, an entire kingdom of priests? A priest is someone that is meant to represent God to the people and the people to God. They are ones that are meant to stand between and serve as a representative, to serve as someone that would show the way, serve as someone who would reflect God to others. He said, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to represent me to everyone you come in contact with. And all people will be blessed through you. There's a Bible scholar, his name is Doug Stewart. He's written some incredible works, and he wrote a commentary on the book of Exodus that's one of my favorites to study when I'm in this portion of Scripture. And he talks about four ways that this title of a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, they describe the purpose, the mission of the Israelites. And look at these similarities that we'll come in contact with, and I think these uh, hopefully will end up on the screen for you if you're taking notes. Number one, Israel was to be an example to people of other nations. God saved them. He saved them for a reason. And part of that reason was for them to be an example to the entire world around them. That people would see how they acted, see how they believed, and they'd be so impressed that they'd want to know personally the same God that saved them, that leads them, that guides them. Secondly, that Israel would proclaim the truth of God and invite people to accept him. So listen to this, that they would proclaim the truth of God and invite people to accept him. Now, one of the examples we see of this is this is a part of God's covenant, that people would put their belief, their trust in God, they'd accept this covenant that God invites them to make, this promise they would enter into. Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, was one of the people that were outside of the people of God that accepted that covenant put their faith in, and were invited to accept him and believe in him. Sounds familiar, right? Israel would intercede for the rest of the world. That's the third one, that they would intercede for the rest of the world. They're meant to stand between God and the people, that they would um, intercede, they'd offer offerings and sacrifices, and they would stand there between God and the people. This was a part of God's heart and desire for his people all the way back in the Old Testament. And finally... Israel would keep the promises of God and they would preserve his word. Part of this journey, as everything is being revealed to them, they would keep the promises of God, they would obey what God said, but they also kept an account of it. What we have and what we're reading right now is that account that was being kept. It was a preserving of the word of God so it could be carried down to different generations and it comes all the way to us today. Isn't that amazing, church? that we have God's revelation to us today because they were preserving the word of God and carrying it down so others could see and follow. See, this was a part of the purpose God had for them, that they would be a blessing to everyone, that truly as Abraham was told by God, all nations will be blessed through you. It was a part of God's desire that through this people, through this nation, through this kingdom of priests and holy nation, all the world would be transformed. And would see and know that this is the true God. 
This is a part of the heart that God has. Doesn't it sound familiar, church? It sounds familiar to what our purpose is, that God has a plan and a purpose for you and for me. Jesus saved us. He rescued us for a reason. He saved us and changed us, and he has unleashed us with a mission, with a plan that he has for us so that other people could come into a life-changing relationship with God through him. That's the reason. So that their lives would be changed, so that they would experience redemption, so that they could be rescued and forgiven of their sins, so that they could be that people. Do you know that this title of a kingdom of priests and of a holy nation, it carries through the pages of Scripture. We come all the way to the end in the book of Revelation chapter 1. And don't you know, it shows up there again. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. It says, To him who loves us and who freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's talking about Jesus. Why did he save us? Why did he rescue us? He made us to be a kingdom and priests, that we would be that kingdom of priests to represent God everywhere we go, that when the world looks at us, they can find hope in Christ because Christ is in us. This is a part of God's plan from the beginning. And he invites the people into that. This is what God's inviting them into on Mount Sinai, in that wilderness. God is infusing purpose and mission at the foot of that mountain right to them. And as they hear it, God says, go tell the people. Verse 8, Exodus chapter 19, verse 8. So Moses went back and he summoned all the elders and the people. He set before them all the words that God had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought the answer back to God and God takes that seriously. Hence why I said, Pastor Rick, when you let us in that song, it's a very dangerous song. Because I still think, do you still think God takes those words that we speak and we say seriously? Some of you are like, I hope not. Does he? Come on, you can, you can participate if you'd like. Some of you are like, what did I do? Why did I come? Yeah, it's serious. Like, it's like God invites us into this life with him. And when we worship, like when we, we're not just singing these nice songs. We're, I think in moments when we're doing what we just did a few moments ago, we're doing what they did at Sinai. We're saying, Lord, this is the purpose you have for me. I want to give up everything, anything that holds me back. Lord, I want to give myself away so you can use me. Come on, somebody. I want to give myself away so that you could use me. What are they saying? Look, give, give yourself to me, and I'm your, you're my possession now, and I'm going to use you for my purpose. I'm going to do through you what you could have never imagined. It's the same thing for you and me. We're, we're right here in the midst of this story. And so Moses then went back up the mountain. Now, here's, here's the challenge. What chapter in Exodus are we in right now? So does anyone know when Moses comes back down from that mountain, what chapter? I studied it, so I could tell you. Um, chapter 32. <laughs> Think about that. He went up on chapter 19. He comes back down on 32. That's a long time. And it's up there that God's given him revelation and the Ten Commandments and his law and how to build the tabernacle. It's like he is just going, taking his time. There's a challenge in this wilderness. If you thought the other wildernesses lasted a while, three days without water, a month, what. You know how long they're at the foot of Sinai? We know because we have the book of Numbers. This is one of the first times I've ever publicly said, thank the Lord for the book of Numbers. Uh, because I don't think you hear that from pastors very often, but it helps us measure things. And there in the book of Numbers, we learned that they're at the foot of Mount Sinai for 11 months without Moses. 
up on the mountain. Where is he? What's he doing? We don't know. I say this to you because I think it teaches us a spiritual principle that we have to understand today. The longer we stay here, the easier it is to get our mind off the mission and the reason why we're here. The longer we stay here, I think the easier it is for us to lose sight of why we're here. And, and it's just, it's dangerous. And you're going to see it unfold because some of you know what happens in chapter 32. Others, I won't give it away yet. Uh, it's not good. The people get their eyes off the mission, off the purpose. I tell that to you. I want to be sensitive, but I'm frustrated about what I'm going to say next. Because some of you shared it all over your timelines and you saw it floating all over the internet that the world was supposed to end yesterday. Because a Christian numerologist, which let me tell you, that's not a biblical title that anyone gets in the Bible, um, predicted it somehow by putting together, you know, a lot of different um, things that they came across. And it gives another reason for the world to look and, and to really kind of mock the hope of Christ that's in us. And for some of us, it's hard because we try to then defend that and we kind of feel like, wish you wouldn't have said that. Uh, wish you wouldn't have done that. Um, I saw this last week, a, a meme that showed up on my Facebook, uh, like just like a, a little kind of thing. I had to save it because I'm going to need this uh, just to remind myself. It gives you kind of step by step on how to accurately predict the exact date of the Lord's coming. And the first step is don't. <clears throat> and there are no other steps. <clears throat> so I just, I needed that. I sent it to some of my friends in the faith sometimes. Uh, when we come to these places. That's the number one way. I, I just think if people want to start making these predictions and pointing to dates, I could just mark those off the calendar. You're not coming back to that date, Lord. Um, you told us we wouldn't know the day or the hour. Uh, we understand the seasons are changing. We could feel all these things around us. But I want to tell you, it doesn't give us the right to do what the Lord said we shouldn't do. <laughs> uh, to go and start prescribing dates and times. That's not the purpose of it. And, um, and so I say all that because I, I think... The Lord has given me an ability to kind of sense why those things happen from time to time. Maybe you're asking why. Why do we, why do, we do that? Like, why does that stuff happen? And we kind of get off, off track. What I, what I call that is mission drift. It's when we kind of get our eyes off of the, the key purpose God has for us. And we start looking at other things that might be interesting, might feel good, might be whatever. But they're a distraction from the main thing, the main mission. And mission drift happens when we kind of get distracted. And we kind of veer off purpose. That's not bound up in any of, any of you know, to, to, to look and prescribe and to forecast when exactly with specificity the Lord is coming back. That's not a part of what Jesus gave us as our mission. His mission that he gave us is to go into all the world and to preach the good news and to make disciples of all nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and to teach them to obey everything I commanded you. And then I'm going to be with you to the ends of the age. That's what he said. That's our mission, church. And when we get our eyes off the mission, we get distracted. And I want to tell you, that's one way that people get distracted. You say, well, I'll never get distracted by that. Some of you say, I do get distracted by that. I kind of, I have to be careful because I'll see things and I want to chase that down. But, but there are always things that are trying to distract us. Maybe it's not that, it's something else. But it's dangerous when we get our eyes off the mission, the purpose, the reason. The longer between the time that Moses went up the mountain and came down. And guess what? The longer between the time that Jesus ascended into heaven and came back down for his bride, he's coming, Maranatha, the more there's an opportunity for the church to lose its focus. And I want you to know 
that if we forget why we exist, we will eventually cease to exist. Hear me on this. If we forget why we exist, we will soon cease to exist. It's true of any church. It's true of any organization. It's true of anything. If the church forgets why she exists, then she stops existing eventually. Um, because the church isn't a building. That building could still be open. But guess what? The church is a people. And a people that lose focus on their mission and on their purpose could become something else. I don't want to be a country club. Come on, somebody. I don't want to be some club. I don't want to be some. I want to be a people that are seeing others come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll see it from time to time, churches that lose sight of that. Lose sight of the mission. Lose sight of why we're doing what we're doing. They can get off base. There's a famous story about that. That there was a church down south. And... Uh, they were great at doing a lot of things, and one of the things they were great at was uh, fried chicken. And they would do fundraisers for fried chicken, and they would uh, make, make some great stuff. They'd sell it, they made some money, and then say, oh, let's sell some more, and they kept selling it. And, and before long, they started saying, you know what, like the church and the, all that, like let's kind of do away with the service, let's keep selling this chicken. And uh, they, they kind of stopped being a church and they just started being a chicken company. And that's how churches fried chicken, if you've ever heard of churches fried chicken. <laughs> Mission drift, hello. You know, and it's some good chicken if you've ever had it. Some of you are like, I'm never eating that chicken again. Uh, that's the story behind it uh, that I, I picked up on a while ago. And I thought, wow. <clears throat> yeah. Some of you are like, thank God it's not Chick-fil-A. Because I want to I I eat some Chick-fil-A. <clears throat> but when we miss out, it could be a good thing. But it isn't the God thing anymore that he has. And so we don't want to lose sight of the mission. Uh, there's a, a diagram I want to show you that is something we're going to revisit next week as well, but I just want to introduce you to it um, this week. Because this, this is about us as a church. It's about where God is calling us, but it's a principle that we see here in God's word that I would just want to introduce you to. Um, and look here, it looks kind of like a mountain. So it kind of goes along with our, uh, what we're talking about, Mount Sinai, that this is a life cycle for anything. Like I said, if we forget why we exist, we will cease to exist. That, this kind of illustrates that with a lot of clarity. When anything started, when any, when any um, organization is started, when, it, when the church was birthed, when the church was started, there was a reason that started everything. It was the mission why we exist. And Jesus gave the church a mission. And he then commissioned the church to be his witnesses everywhere and to see people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that mission, when the people become focused to it, when they rally to it, when they keep it in front of them, what happens is it picks up momentum. And there is movement. And they become a movement of people. What you see when revival breaks out, it's a movement of God in hearts and lives. And it's amazing and it's beautiful. And there are many churches that get started out of movements, birthed out of movements. I want you to know our church was started out of a movement, out of a revival in the late 1800s and early 1900s. It birthed our church. And then our church became a part of that movement. And we became a movement. We've had revivals and ups and downs. And, and we've always had that mission from the beginning. Why are we here? To see people come to Jesus. To see them come to Jesus and go out and do what Jesus called them to do. So we see this. Now, we're going to look at the other half of this next week. But I want you to look at these two because this is a, a cycle of growth and of movement and of, of God changing lives. But when you go over the hill and you get on the other side of the hill, it's dangerous over there. That's where there's a lot of caution. And the same way that Moses went up over the mountain and they couldn't see him anymore was a point where they began to lose sight of the mission. So I want you to imagine that you're standing on the other side of that mountain. You can't see through the mountain, 
the mountain's kind of blocking you from the mission if you're standing over there and you're looking back. Does that make sense? You're not seeing it on that side. You're not paying it. It's not in focus anymore. And the further you go down the mountain, the harder it is to see the mission. And that's why when you're going there, if you forget why you exist, eventually you cease to exist. There are a lot of church buildings around, different places. You go over to Europe and you'll see it in even more striking comparisons that there are a lot of churches that now cease to exist. Yes, there are still buildings, but there's no life anymore. There's no movement. There's no mission being lived out. Church, it's my conviction, it's our conviction that we are going to be a church until Jesus returns that is on mission, living out the purpose that he has for us, reaching as many people as we can. You know why? Because his purpose for us is to be a kingdom of priests, is to be a holy nation, to be a people set apart unto him, but representing him everywhere we go. Come on up, Pastor Rick. In Exodus chapter 32, we get to the time where some... Significant time has passed while Moses is up getting the revelation of God and the people, they get their eyes off the purpose, why they're there. They forget why they exist. And something remarkable happens and heartbreaking. It says, now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, when they saw that it was taking so long for him to come down, they gathered around Aaron and they said, come, make us gods who will go before us. For this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. For them, the, the mission changed. Let's just get out of here. Let's just like go somewhere else. Let's just turn our attention away. And so in verse three, so all the people took off their earrings. I think this is significant as we were praying, praying and singing that last song before the, the word. I thought about the idea, I give myself away to you, Lord. I give myself away and I thought, wow, they're giving themselves away. They're pulling off their gold and that which is most precious to them and they're using it to worship a false God. Man, what are we feeding today? Whatever you're feeding is growing. They took all those things and they handed them to him and he made an idol cast out of the shape of a calf and he fashioned it with a toll and he, they then said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. And they begin to point at this thing and say, this can now be your God who rescued you, who you can worship. And the Bible says they then begin to worship this idol. And I want you to know that our hearts are idol-making factories that we just have the ability to just create idols over and over and over again, things that steal our affection away from God who deserves it all, who steal our love, steal our longing, that just we, just, we just turn to all these other things. You think, this is crazy, they don't do that. Yeah, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. And I think when we lose sight of why God has purchased us, why God has rescued us, what his plan is for each one of our lives, we can so easily just drift towards idols and towards other things that take our attention, take our affection, rob us of our joy and our purpose. So what's the answer, Pastor? The answer is to get back to the mission. 
The answer is to go back and to climb over and to, to get there again and fix your eyes on the reason why he saved you, why he redeemed you, that as you turn back to him, I'm so thankful God is only a heart's turn away from us. He's not a drawbridge. He's not, uh, you know, a world away. He's a heart's turn away from you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what your past looks like today, he's a heart's turn away from you, from rescuing you, from redeeming you, from healing you, from restoring you, and from setting you on purpose again, on his mission, on his plan, so you could live out the purpose God has for you. Return to the mission. Return to your first love, as, as Jesus said. Return back to me again with your heart and let me lead and guide you. Give yourself to me again that you could be who I've called you to be. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. This was a significant passage of Scripture when I first came to Jesus. And I just learned this idea that he had a purpose for my life. I wanted to tell everyone I could about it, that I was rescued for a reason. Like, it wasn't just so I could feel good. It wasn't so I could just wait out my time before I get to heaven. It was so that I could live in a living, life-giving relationship and to share his love with others, whoever would want to know, to represent him to the world around me. That was my friends. That was my neighbors. That was my coworkers. That was my unsafe family. It was people, anyone who would give me the time of day. I just wanted them to know the love of God. And this passage of scripture just took on special significance about a year into my walk with God. And I, I never forget it. And I was just thanking God for it again this morning as I was praying and preparing my heart to share with you. Here's what God's word says about us. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You're God's special possession that you could declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. We're a changed people, church. We're not who we were. We've been rescued. We've been set apart. And our purpose is the same as what we've been reading about, to be a royal priesthood in a holy nation, a people of God's possession. Why? So we could declare the praises of God to everyone who would hear, so we could live out loud, so the world could see, so we could shine light into dark places. Another way that Jesus said it himself, Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do you light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, you put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so they could see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How do I do this? Every day, would you wake up and would you, when you spend quiet time with God, would you allow him to refocus your mind on the purpose and mission that he has for you? Would you allow him to begin to bring divine appointments into your life? Would you live with a sensitivity that I'm here for a reason, Lord God, and that others would see the reason of the hope that I have within me that's Christ? Would you allow yourself every day to be reminded that you were saved on purpose, you are made on purpose. Come on, as we said it in our VBS, you're made on purpose for a purpose. God has it for you. Our children are learning that at a young age. Will we live that reality out every day? And in 14 days, church, that's why. It's because of our mission. It's because of that hope 
and being that salt and light. That's why we're gonna shut down our services in two weeks and we're gonna head out into our community for service for service. And we're going to see multitudes of people see the hope of Christ that is in us. We're gonna let the light that's in this house spread out on one Sunday and we're gonna go all into our community so that people could see through our life and through our service and through our love and praise our God who's in heaven, amen? That's why we do what we do. It's a part of our mission. It's a part of why we want to see others see Christ. And so I'm excited that we're all going to be a part of that. Would you begin over the next couple weeks just to prepare your hearts? Because on October 8th, we're doing it as one church body together. Make sure you continue to sign up. You get ready and get plugged in. But let's all stand here right now. And let's apply this word to our hearts and our lives. We're going to sing that same chorus that we sang right before we got into the word, that we're gonna give ourselves away to God so he can use us. If anything's holding us back, if anything's separating you right now, would you just surrender it to him? And would you just, in these moments, would you just turn your attention to him? We're gonna spend a couple minutes. We got a few moments, so we're not gonna be dismissed. I'll close, we'll close out in a few moments in a word of prayer, but let's just make this our response unto God right now. God, I want to fix my eyes on you again, Lord. I want to re-uncover, Lord God, your purpose, your plan for me. Help me to be salt and light. Help me to be used by you for the reason you have for me. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship him. And let's make this a time as we're worshiping just to reaffirm our commitment unto him. We hope you have been challenged and blessed by this message. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com.